What a joy it is to hear that excellent report from the South Africa team. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff and Michelle and Stephanie, Janice, John, and Nate for your faithful labor and for just encouraging us in that tremendous report. We just do encourage and exhort all of you members of Cornerstone to go online and to get the fuller sharing uh, that will be posted online soon. And we do want to thank each one of you as a church for sending this team and for praying for them, for financially supporting them. And I trust that you've just been so blessed to see just the fruit of all of your ministry in sending this team. And let's continue to pray for the Mack family as they minister through this ministry, One Hope for Africa, this gospel-centered outreach to orphans in South Africa. And let us uh, pray for our own hearts as well that the Lord would move our hearts to see the beauty of the gospel and to serve here in Orange County and to give our lives for the sake of Christ here. Uh, One uh, quick but very important announcement is immediately after the service, we will be having our State of the Church Part 2 sharing. Uh, We will be taking a 10-minute break right after service and then re-gathering here uh, for that for the elder sharing, so please join us for that time. Um, all are welcome, uh, members, visitors, any who, are, uh, who would like to partake of that time, uh, please uh, join us, and we'll be uh, speaking of some uh, very important directions for our church in the year 2012. So please join us for that time. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we are nearing the conclusion of... Our study of this great epistle, it's been just a joy to study this book with you, and I trust and hope you've been encouraged as I have by the words of the Apostle Paul. And this morning in our study, we come to a great and precious text that's found in Philippians chapter 4. It is uh, verses 10 to 13, and it is a passage that deals with the subject of contentment, a heart of contentment. Let's read together from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Paul writes this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, the key phrase in that passage is what Paul says in verse 11. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So this is a passage about contentment. And it's an amazing passage, really, when you consider the circumstances in which Paul was writing. Paul is in prison. He is awaiting trial and possible execution. There are rival preachers who are in the church who are seeking to cause him distress. In the midst of the darkness of all that's going on in his life, he says to the church, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm in a dark and difficult circumstance. I'm faced with trials and discouragement, and yet in the midst of it all, 
my heart is content. Now, contentment is simply having a heart of satisfaction. Contentment is simply having a heart that says, I am satisfied in God. It's a heart that says, I have enough. I have all that I need. There's nothing more that God has to do for me in order for my heart to be at rest. Contentment is saying in our everyday lives that right here, right now, in whatever circumstances that God has ordained for me, I am satisfied. And I don't need anything more than what God has already provided. One author wrote that contentment is an internal quietness of heart that gladly submits to God in all circumstances. It's really a a quiet heart. It's a heart that is tranquil. It's a heart that's at peace, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan author, wrote this, Contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. And as you hear that definition, I would ask you, do those adjectives describe your heart on a daily basis? Would you use those adjectives, sweet, quiet, gracious, and submissive, describe what is going on your heart on any given day? You know, the word contentment is really a word that was borrowed from the Stoic philosophers. The Stoics spoke of a type of self-sufficient spirit that was independent from circumstances. And Paul takes this Stoic idea and he transforms it into a Christian one. He says that the Christian lives independent from circumstances, not because of a spirit of self-sufficiency, because the Christian has a sufficiency in Christ. As the Christian depends more upon his relationship with Christ, on a daily basis, he finds an internal satisfaction that is not dependent on circumstances. And so Paul says in verse 11, I have learned to be content. And as we look at the scriptures, we find that the Bible speaks much of this subject of contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, Paul said to Timothy, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul says if you have food on the table on a given day, if you have clothes on your back and God has provided for you, if God has met those two basic necessities, then we as Christians should be content. In Hebrews 13.5, the writer of Hebrews said, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews says that we as Christians have an even greater possession than any riches that are found in this world. We have a God who loves us and who is for us. And if God is for us, then who can stand against us? The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. And so he says we should be content. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul said this, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul looks at all the trials that could face any Christian in life, the weaknesses, the insults, the hardships, the calamities, and he says, even in these things, I'm satisfied. I'm content because it is in these things that Christ shows his power in me. And the question I would just ask you, dear brothers and sisters, as you respond to the word of God, is simply this, are you content? Are you content? Dear brother and sister in Christ, I would ask you this morning, are you satisfied in God? Are you satisfied in all that God has done for you? Can you say this morning that with whatever circumstances you're in, whatever trials and difficulties are in your life, that you could say it's enough, that I'm satisfied. God doesn't need to change anything in my life. My heart is at rest in the sovereignty of God. Or are you what we might call an if-only Christian? If only my circumstances were changed. If only the Lord would do this in my life. If only the Lord would change this area of my life, then I would be content. Can you say this morning that you have found contentment in Christ? You know, I love Jerry Bridges' description of contentment. He said, contentment is believing that God is being good to me right now. Contentment is believing that in my present circumstances, in my present life, and whatever is going on in my world today, that God is expressing his goodness to me. You know, the truth is that God is expressing his goodness to us in every circumstance we face as believers. It is even through the trials and the sufferings of our everyday lives that God expresses his grace and his kindness to us. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe, brothers and sisters, that God is being good to you? Or in your heart, is there some kind of doubt in the goodness of God? Are you feeling that God is withholding from you something that is good or something that is necessary, that he's being stingy with you, in your present circumstances. Because if you believe that God is being good to you, with that you can be content. You know, the great Saint George Mueller was a German who spent his life building houses to minister to orphans. And it was said at the end of his life that over 10,000 orphans were cared for through the ministry of George Mueller. When he was 64 years old, his wife Mary died. And they had been married for 39 years. He loved her tremendously. And the text that George Mueller chose for her funeral sermon was this. Psalm 119, verse 68. Thou art good and doest good. He opened the funeral by saying, The Lord is good and doeth good. He said, Nothing but good can proceed from him. If he pleases to take my dearest wife, it will be good, like himself. What I have to do as his child is to be satisfied with what my father does. After this, my soul was aimed, and I was satisfied with God. You know, George Mueller was a man who had learned contentment. He learned to see God's goodness in all circumstances of life, even in the most painful moments of life. 
And it speaks to us in our present circumstances, doesn't it? Are we seeing God's goodness in everything He does? Are we, as His children, satisfied in Him? Are we, as His children, resting in His goodness? You know, the first temptation that Satan gave to man was the temptation to be discontent. God gave Adam and Eve all the trees of the Garden of Eden. He gave them everything to enjoy. He just said there is one tree that is forbidden for you. And Satan came to Adam and Eve, and Satan pointed out that one tree. And he insinuated, hasn't God withheld from you something that is good? And he tempted them to be discontent. Isn't that true of your life and my life this morning? Hasn't God lavished us with his grace and his goodness? Hasn't he given us all things to enjoy? Can we not look back on the years of our life and see his faithfulness and his provision in so many different ways? Can we not look at his son and his death on the cross and not conclude that our God is a God of amazing grace? And yet there's just that one thing that we are tempted to want and to be discontent about. There's that one thing in our life that we feel if we could just change this thing, then we would be happy. And we too are tempted to be discontent. You know, as I thought about this subject, there were really two areas that came to mind where I believe that most Christians struggle with discontentment. I just want to lay them before you and ask you to consider them and see if they are not true of your life this morning. The first area that we can be tempted to be discontent is in the area of our possessions. The area of our possessions. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know how easy it is for us to become discontent. To buy into the lie the world gives us that if we only had better possessions, then our hearts would be truly satisfied. You know, a few years ago, I think two or three years ago, I got an iPhone for the first time. And when I got my iPhone, I thought that this was the most incredible gadget I've ever had in my entire life. I thought that how could anyone want something more? I mean, this thing, it takes pictures, it checks email, it takes texts, it plays music. I mean, it even makes phone calls on top of everything else. How could anything, anyone want anything more than this iPhone? And for the last two and a half years or three years, I have been perfectly content with my iPhone until I made the mistake a few, year, a few weeks ago of going to the store and checking out the new iPhone 4S. And as I looked at this new iPhone 4S, believe it or not, this thing, it has a personal assistant on the phone. And you don't even need to type things into the phone for this assistant to understand you. You can just talk to the phone and it'll tell you what, what, what you need. So you can just say, I'm, I'm hungry or I want a restaurant and the phone does the work for you. And after being wowed by just the technology of this iPhone, I went home and I pulled out my old, ratty-looking, three-year-old iPhone. And I thought, this technology is just so outdated. I mean, are you telling me I've got to actually type in things for this iPhone to understand me? I mean, this is, what, what are we, the Stone Ages? This is like medieval times. This is, 
this is so outdated and I was becoming discontent. You know, brothers and sisters, isn't that just so true with everything when it comes to our possessions? Are we not constantly being sold the lie of the world that if we just had something, a better car or a newer house or a better job or a different salary level, then we would be content when the truth is that none of those things bring contentment. Only Christ brings true and lasting satisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. You know, it's better to have one of those $10 track phones at Rite Aid than to have the snazziest new phone if you just have quiet and peace in your life. If you're just at peace with God and peace with man, far better to have little than to have much with strife. Proverbs 30, verse 7 says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know, the writer of Proverbs said, Lord, this is my prayer. Don't give me too much, because then I'll be proud, and I I won't feel like I need you. I'll be self-sufficient, and I'll forget your name. But Lord, don't give me too little, because then I'll starve. My prayer is, Lord, give me what I need. Just give me what I need today, and then I will be content. We can struggle with discontentment when it comes to our possessions. And a second area that we can struggle with discontentment is in the area of our position. The area of our position. And what I mean by this is our position in life or our position in society. You know, all of us have a a station or a role or a place of responsibility in life. All of us have a place that God has put us in in society. Some of us are students. Some of us are in the working world. Some of us are single. Some of us are parents. Some of us are retired, and other of us are in our teens and our 20s or just starting out in our careers. I mean, all of us have a position in life. I mean, I say that we are placed in that position by the sovereign hand of God. Nothing is an accident. Nothing comes by chance. Psalm 75 verse 7 says, It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. And yet the truth is many of us can struggle with discontentment when it comes to where God has placed us. You know, when I was a student, I thought to myself, I can't wait to graduate. I hate school. I I just hate studying. I can't wait to finally get my degree and just get out there in the real world. And when I finally graduated and got a job, I thought the working world is so boring. I wish I was back in school. School was so awesome. We just stayed up and did whatever we want. Why can't I be back in school? You know, when I was in my early 20s, I thought I can't wait till I get older. I mean, I'm tired of being the the young guy in the room all the time. I wish I was older and wiser and more mature and young people would talk to me. And now that 
I'm nearing 40, I'm thinking, man, life was so great in the early 20s. I mean, I just ate whatever I wanted, just did whatever I wanted. I didn't need to sleep that much. I mean, life was just great. And we can always just be discontent with where we are right now. We can always find reasons to grumble with where God has placed us right now in our lives. The old saying is true, that the grass is always greener on the other side. It's like the following poem that was written by a 14-year-old. He was a wise young teenager, and he said this, It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. You know, brothers and sisters, what usually needs to change when we are dissatisfied with our position is not our circumstances, but it is the posture of our hearts. There are single people who want to be married. There are married people who want to be single. There are women who can't wait to be stay-at-home moms, and there are stay-at-home moms who can't wait to go to work. There are men who think that if they're just changed their career, if they just got into another field or another area, that would make them content with life. When the truth is that usually what needs to change is not our position, but it is our hearts. Are we content in the place that God has put us in today? Can we say that we are satisfied in Him? All of us need the teaching of Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And in this passage, Paul teaches us two essential truths to cultivating a heart of contentment. Two important truths that we want to apply to our hearts and lives this morning. And the first truth is this, that contentment must be learned. Contentment must be learned. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am. I'm going back to verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. He's expressing joy in the Philippians' ministry to him. The Philippians have just sent him a gift through the servant Epaphroditus. And Paul rejoices at the reception of this gift. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And you'll notice these terms. He says, at length you have revived your concern for me. It's been about 10 years since the Philippians had, Paul had, founded the Philippian church, and it seems that in those 10 years, there had been a gap in communication. That during that time, the Philippians had lost contact with Paul. Possibly it was because Paul was just moving around so much, they had difficulty locating him and establishing communication. But now that Paul has been imprisoned in Rome, he's in one place, and they have found him. They have sent Epaphroditus to minister to him. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, 
that after all this time, you have now revived your concern for me. And he just affirms the Philippians. He doesn't criticize them. He doesn't, he doesn't demean them in any way. He says in verse 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He says, I know you cared for me during this entire time, but you just lacked the opportunity to send me an expression of that love. But now that you have sent me Epaphroditus, I have received this love, and I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul uses a beautiful word in verse 10, the word revived to describe the the concern the Philippians had for him. That word is a horticultural term. It pictures a flower that's blooming in the sunshine of spring. And Paul says, I was in the very winter of my life. I was in a place of darkness and discouragement. In the midst of my prison, your love blossomed. And it was as a flower blooming in the midst of my winter. Paul is excited about the Philippians' gift. And at this point, he sees a danger of his excitement being misunderstood. You know, you can thank someone so profusely for a gift that it seems like you're asking them for another gift. Or you can thank them so excitedly about something they've given to you that it seems like you care more about the gift than you do about the giver. And Paul wants to correct that potential misunderstanding. And so in verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking from being in need. I just want to correct this in understanding. I'm not speaking because I'm in such great need of your gift. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul rejoiced more in the love and the heart of the Philippian church than he did in the gift itself. And at this point, we come to really what is the main issue in this text. And this is the point I want to draw to your attention, and that is this. Contentment is an attitude that needs to be learned. Contentment is an attitude that needs to be learned. Paul says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And in verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In verse 11, Paul uses the Greek word manthano to describe the learning process that he went to to gain contentment. This word describes the process of learning that comes through application and experience. This word does not so much describe a learning by intellect or a learning by study or learning by listening to lectures. It is describing a type of learning that comes by applying God's truth on an everyday basis. Paul is saying here that I learned contentment as I walked with Christ, as I was a practitioner of God's truth in my everyday life. I experienced all the ups and downs of life. And as I applied God's truth to my heart, I learned contentment. In verse 12, Paul uses a different word to describe his learning process. He uses the Greek term mueo, which is related to the English word mystery. We translate this word, I have learned the secret. It's it's really an interesting word. It was used to describe the initiatory rites of pagan religion. When a person wanted to be initiated into some secret knowledge of a pagan religion, he went through a definite ritual or process to get there. 
And Paul isn't comparing Christianity to a pagan religion. What he's saying is that the process in which I gained contentment was a definite and specific walkthrough. It was a process. There was a definite step-by-step road that I went through in order to learn contentment. Paul is simply saying here that contentment does not come automatically. It does not come instantly. Uh, There's no magic pill. There's no secret formula. You know, I love to say, you know, in order to learn contentment, just pray this special prayer. If you just pray the secret prayer, then you'll just automatically, presto, have all your discontentment go away. But Paul is saying that contentment is a process of discipleship. It is a day-to-day walk with Christ. It is applying God's truth to your life on an everyday basis. It is walking with Christ through the various trials and circumstances of life. And Paul says it is through that process that I learned contentment. I learned contentment. You know, brothers and sisters, this is just so basic. It is just so foundational. This is Christianity 101, that we are meant to walk with Christ in our everyday lives. We are meant to apply God's truth to our hearts in our everyday lives. Spiritual growth doesn't come by a zap. It doesn't come by someone pronouncing upon you a blessing. Spiritual growth comes as we daily abide in God's truth and as we apply God's truth to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Contentment has to be learned. And I would just ask you this morning, are you learning contentment? Are you in the process of learning how to be satisfied in Christ? You might ask, Dan, what is the training ground? If you're saying that contentment needs to be learned, then what is the school that I need to put myself in in order to gain contentment? And the school that Paul was in, he says in verse 11, was the very kinds of circumstances in his everyday life. Daily life was the school in which Paul learned contentment. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul's saying, as I went through life, I just faced all the extremes of circumstances. I mean, Some seasons were just great and I just abounded and I prospered and some seasons were rough and I went through trial and hunger. And those kinds of circumstances, as I walked through life in that way with Christ, that was the school in which God taught me how to be content. And you and I know that daily life is like this. I mean, it's just so extreme. One day we're rejoicing and the next day we're grieving. I mean, one day, one month we're prospering, and the next month we're in need. There are seasons of prosperity, and there are seasons of adversity. And the interesting thing is that sometimes both extremes are happening at the same time. I mean, life is not one-dimensional. Sometimes we have greatest reasons to rejoice. Someone just got saved, or, or a mission trip just came back and gave us a great report. We have just great reasons to rejoice And at the same time, we have great reasons to grieve. 
life is just filled with the ups and downs and the highs and the lows. And Paul says, it's as I walk through life experiencing all of this that God schooled me and taught me the attitude of contentment. If we're going to learn contentment, we must learn to receive from God from every circumstance that God sends our way, the lessons that God has for us in those daily affairs. Now, if you've been with us in our teaching, you already know that it is through trials that God sanctifies our lives. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials are God's tools to produce in us maturity. Trials are God's sovereign blessing upon our life in order to make us more into the likeness of Christ. And Paul is saying in this text that it is through trials that he learned contentment. It was through difficult circumstances, suffering, that his heart was weaned away from trusting and resting in the things of this world and his heart was brought to rest in Christ. But you'll note here that very interestingly, it was not just through trials that Paul learned contentment. It was not only through the suffering that God taught Paul to be satisfied. God also taught Paul contentment through seasons of prosperity. Paul says, I not only know how to be brought low, but I know how to abound. That word abound means to have more than enough. It means to prosper, to be rich, to overflow, to be in abundance. You know, there are some of you this morning right now, you're going through some really intense trials and you're asking, Dan, why is God allowing me to go through this trial? And God's word would answer you. It is to teach you contentment. But others of you this morning are saying, are going through life and life is great. I mean, life is just filled with blessing. You're prospering. Your job is good. Your health is good. Your relationships are good. I mean, things are just going great. And you're coming this morning and saying, Dan, why is God allowing me to go through this season of prosperity? I will say to you from this text, it is to teach you contentment. That prosperity is a test. Will you love the blessings more than you love the one who gives the blessings? Will your heart be so attached to the favorable circumstances that if those favorable circumstances are removed, that you will lose your contentment? Or will you learn through even seasons of prosperity to be content in Christ and Him alone, not in the good or the bad of life? Our lives move to and fro from seasons of trials and seasons of blessing. And seasons of prosperity are a training ground for contentment. Can I say to you that prosperity can be an even greater test of our faith than even seasons of trial? You know, when you're in trial, you know this. You're desperate for Christ. You're humble. You have no one to turn to. You're on your knees. You have no one to look to but your Savior when you are going through trials. But when you're in prosperity and life is good and you wake up in the morning and the sun is shining, it's very easy to grow proud. 
And it is very easy to become self-sufficient. Deuteronomy 8 verse 11, God said to Israel, Take care when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. When your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, take care lest you forget the Lord. That your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. You know, Israel, when they were in trial, they cried out to their God with desperation. Israel, when they were in prosperity, they became proud and they fell into idolatry. Prosperity can be a great test of our faith. Spurgeon said there are many who know how to be abased, but who have not learned how to abound. When they are set upon the top of a pinnacle, their heads grow dizzy and they are ready to fall. The Christian far oftener disgraces his profession in prosperity than in adversity. It is a dangerous thing to be prosperous. Isn't that true of you and me this morning? We live in one of the most affluent societies in, in, in the world. And our prosperity can be a great test of our faith. Ironically, some of you struggle more with contentment when it comes to prosperity than you do in poverty. And I think for most of you, you might say, Dan, I can't relate to that. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm always struggling because I want more. But for some of you, God has just put in your heart, you'd rather live in a third world country. You'd rather live a much simpler lifestyle. You're, you're sick of Orange County. You're sick of Southern California. You say, this place is just has too much. I mean, the malls and the shopping and just all the stuff in this world. I mean, I just, it's just so hard to be content here. And you might ask the question, why has God placed me here? Well, my heart is to be content with so much less. Well, brothers and sisters, God has put you here to, be, to teach you contentment. The Lord wants to teach you that your contentment cannot be connected to either poverty or prosperity. It can't be that you're dependent upon your prosperity to be satisfied, and it can't be that you're dependent upon poverty to be satisfied. Your contentment must be tied to Christ and Christ alone, and Jesus Christ is just as real here in Orange County as he is anywhere in this world, no matter what the standard of living You know, reflecting back on this passage, I thought back to the 20 years that I've been a Christian, and there have been seasons of abundance, and there's also been seasons of great trial. There's been seasons where there's been savings, and there's been seasons when there's been almost nothing in the bank account. And oftentimes through those seasons, I've wondered, you know, what is God doing? Why is God letting me go through this? What does he have in mind? Does he know what he's doing? Is he in control? I can't see the purpose of why God is allowing me to go through this. And as I look back on those seasons, and as I looked at this text, I realized that one of the things that God was doing is he was teaching me to be content. To be content when things are good. To be content when things are bad. To be content in times of plenty to be content in times of adversity. Any and every circumstance is an opportunity for us to learn 
contentment. Whatever are the circumstances that God has placed in your life right now, God is using those circumstances to train your heart in contentment. So the first point is that contentment must be learned. Brothers and sisters, are you learning contentment? Are you in the school of contentment? Are you receiving from the Lord what He would desire to teach you? Or are you questioning His goodness and His sovereignty during this time? If the first point is that contentment must be learned, the second point is very simple, and that is contentment comes from Christ. Contentment comes from Christ. I'm just going to touch on this point because our time is gone. But this is very basic and simple as well. Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know that all things in verse 13 is really defined by the context. It's defined by what has led up to verse 13 and verses 11 and 12. Paul isn't speaking here of the strength to throw a football in a Super Bowl. He isn't speaking here about the strength to win a boxing match in a heavyweight contest. What he is saying here is that I can be content in all circumstances. I can do all things because it is Christ who strengthens me. Paul pictures his heart as a tiny little bucket. And he pictures Christ as a vast ocean and reservoir of strengthening grace. And he pictures his daily Christian life as as Christ taking that vast ocean of strength and power and encouragement and blessing and just pouring it into his tiny little bucket causing his little bucket to overflow with strength. And he says, because Christ is the one who pours into my heart and my life his strength and his grace, I can be content in all circumstances, whether abundance or affliction. J.C. Ryle has written this. He said, would you be holy? Would you be sanctified? then you must begin with Christ. You will do nothing at all and make no progress at all until you feel your sin and flee to Him. Christ is the root and the beginning of all holiness, and the way to be holy is to come to Him. Do you want to attain to holiness? Go to Christ. Abide in Christ. You know, in the past, Jesus came and He died for our sin. He gave his life on our behalf at the cross of Calvary. He rose again on the third day and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. In the future, Jesus Christ is coming again. He will come in glory and establish his rule and his reign upon this earth. And what is Jesus doing in the present? What is he doing in that intermediary period between his first coming and his second coming? Well, what he's doing is he is strengthening the church. He is pouring out His grace and His strength into those who place their trust in Him. And He's just taking that vast ocean of strength and just pouring it into our little buckets so that we overflow, so that we find contentment in Him. Dear brothers and sisters, whatever circumstance you are going through right now, Christ is sufficient for you. Do you believe that? Child of God, do you believe that in your heart? That no matter whatever the mountain, 
that is before you to climb. Christ is sufficient for you. No matter what is the wrestling that is going on in your heart, Christ is sufficient for you. Will you come to him and will you repent of your self-sufficiency and will you find in him the strength to be content in all things? Spurgeon tells a story of riding home after a heavy day's work. He said, I was wearied and depressed by all my labors and swiftly and suddenly like a lightning flash, this text laid hold of me. My grace is sufficient for you. And it was though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And Father River said, drink away, little fish. My stream is sufficient for you. Or if it's as if a little mouse in the granaries of Egypt feared lest it should die of famine. And Joseph said, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for you. Again, I imagine a man at on the mountain, saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere, but the earth cries, breathe away, O man. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. Well, brothers and sisters, what Paul is saying in verse 13 is that Christ is sufficient for us. His strength is enough. He will pour into our lives His grace so that we can say with Paul that we too have learned to be content. Would you stand with me as we close our service? And let's close our service with joy and thanksgiving and give God thanks for what he has taught us. Our Father, thank you so much for your precious word. It is food to our souls. It is the strength for our life. Thank you, Lord, that we too can learn contentment if we trust in Christ. Lord, help us to abide in Christ. Help us to walk with Christ. Lord, whatever is going on in each of our lives, the main issue is this, that we need to trust in Christ. We need to receive from Him the strength that He supplies so that our hearts would be satisfied in Him. Oh, Lord, teach us how to be content. We see in this passage how this attitude so glorifies you and so glorifies the Savior who has come to redeem us. May this attitude be true of each one of us this morning. We will give you praise for the work that you will do. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.